Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have my good friend, Rudolf Galdenais, Certified Financial Planner, on the call. Rudolf's not only a friend, but a colleague. We get to work together every day, and I thought this would be a great conversation to give some insight in terms of how things are going at WealthUp and Rudolf's journey in financial planning. Rudolf, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we get to work together every day, but most of the time it's virtual now. You know, COVID's been quite an interesting, what's thrown an interesting curveball in terms of financial planning. And you've been in this game, you know, for, for about seven plus years. But let's start your journey in financial planning right at university level. Tell our guests kind of how you stumbled upon financial planning. Absolutely. So... I was planning on going overseas after school and started the journey to study in Australia. And pretty much in the month or two before the plan was to depart South Africa for Sydney, Australia, uh, there were complications with the visa. And there was simply no way around it. And eventually had to make the call that Australia was no longer on the cards. Then the question became, well, what now? What am I going to do with my life? I don't want to do nothing. I'm not sure if I want to journey into a gap year. It was never on, on the cards for me. And luckily, my dad is very similar to myself. He knows a lot of people. He loves people. He's always around people, which obviously tends to give you quite a, a wide network. So he phoned up a couple of people during the December holidays from Stellenbosch University and got me into the BCom general course at Stellenbosch for that next year. So that was 2010. Now, I sort of knew what I wanted to study, uh, but that was never the plan. Um, and yeah, first year started at university, had all the normal commerce subjects, economics, accounting, uh, business management. 
but nothing that really drew my attention. But I thought to myself, well, at least having the bachelor's in commerce background would sort of open up quite a large scope for some type of career, maybe accounting, maybe economics, who knows. And at the end of my first year, there was a gentleman by the name of Professor Neil Kricher, who came and lectured in one of our business management classes. And right at the end of the class, pretty much towards the end of our first year, he mentioned the industry called financial planning and spoke to us about the type of industry, spoke to us about the need for financial planners due to change in legislation and regulation that would potentially over time exit a lot of financial planners from the industry. And up until that point, I was interested in what he had to say just due to the work opportunity that sort of um, came through in the presentation. But I think that caught my attention was the type of personality or the type of work you would be doing that that really sort of pulled pulled at my imagination. He mentioned things like, well, you work with people. Um, you can help people. You can make a difference in their lives. And all of those things resonated with me pretty well. And at the end of that class, I changed my course from a general BCom to BCom Financial Planning. And in my second year, subjects changed and my entire trajectory in life essentially changed. And what's interesting is towards the end of my final year, I realized, well, it's probably time to start looking for a job. And the question in my mind was, well, where, who, how, what sort of where to from here? And started phoning up a couple of friends of my dad and colleagues um, that he could recommend. And there was actually a moment in the end of my final year where I was potentially going to change my career now, my fake imaginative career at that point in time for a second time, because a lot of people that I spoke to really sort of shone a light on the old part of our industry where it's all about sales, it's all about commission, it's all about cold calling. If you want to become successful as a financial planner or a broker or an Afrikaans, they refer to it as a marketer, um, then you're just going to have to phone people and it's a sales thing. And and at that point, I thought, well, I mean, I'm in the final year of my BCom financial planning degree. We didn't cover anything about sales. Everything was about financial planning and advice. Um, it's all about helping people. It's about getting clients to uh, see a better future for themselves and to put steps in place to reach that future. And now all of a sudden I hear, but the practical implementation as in the life of a financial planner is all about sales and all about policies and all about like cold calling. And I said, no, no, no. If that is the case, then I will go do something else do an honors in teaching and use my academic skills from an accounting or economics perspective and rather become a teacher and get paid a salary than having to go out into the wide world and flog a product because that was nowhere in any of the academic literature around financial planning, which obviously was was quite a, a – a desponding moment, um, that realization of, well, wow, studied for two years, my second and third year towards a career in financial planning, but it seems like there aren't any jobs in financial planning. Thinking back to my first year meeting Professor Neil Kricher and what he explained versus now sort of this real world implication of selling products to people, 
I didn't really know where to turn until another friend of my dad, I mean, you can see he's, he's got a wide network. He actually said, well, there's actually another side of the industry. It's called um, like sort of distribution. So where there's financial planners who in the course of giving advice need to market products to their clients to help solve a problem or provide a solution. That means that there's a network of people in distribution actually marketing those products or helping financial planners understand those products or get it to the end client, which obviously led me to another conversation. And one of the first real jobs in financial planning was in distribution for uh, one of the large insurers in South Africa. And I'm not going to name any names unless you give me the nod, Louis, then I'll name the names. So yeah, I think uh, distribution was an interesting, an interesting time, um, sort of starting out in my career, but it opened up quite a big door, uh, which I'll probably allude to in, in a little bit more. I don't know if that was a good enough start, Louis. Yeah, that was brilliant. And what I'm hearing is that your expectation of what this industry is, the day you chose to change, you know, your, your main study path into financial planning was very different when you actually had to pick you know, your first job. I'm curious, like, how have things changed since when, you know, you had to make the decision? What are the options available today to students that are wrapping up their studies? Has it changed or is it still very similar? It's a, that's a good question. And I really want to tell you that it's changed, but I don't think that will be completely truthful. And I think it's, it's, it's twofold. Number one, there's still a large insurance industry where uh, there's a big need for insurance agents or um, don't want to say insurance salesmen. I don't think that's still an accurate term, but sort of people offering intermediary services. Um, and I think too, the second thing is it's very tough to actually um, connect a fresh student to a potential employer. Because I remember when a couple of years ago, we were looking to add somebody to our team to actually find a graduate was was very tough. So I think it's um, it probably is very similar to when I was at university where uh, the people that came to speak to us in my final year of financial planning was the larger corporates. Uh, we had a lot of presentations from the bigger corporates offering you training and sort of opportunity with them. But obviously with the caveat of being a sales position, and you had to sort of market yourself and start earning commission by the selling of products. So to f to have found something that I have now was not really um, something that I had the exposure to at university. So finding an independent financial planning practice where the goal is not to sell a product, but the goal is to help people was, was very tough. Um, so although I I would have hoped by now it's changed. I think it is changing, and I think that is rapidly changing. I think students graduating today would still find it very difficult to find an independent practice where there's not sales pressure or sales targets, where you would have an easy in into the industry, where you would earn a salary while you go through your training. Because when I started my first job as a planner, if I was let loose on the world, it would have been very dangerous um, because book knowledge versus application in real life is is very is very different. What do you think was your biggest asset or trait 
at that point when you were applying for prospective jobs? Um, wow, it's a very difficult question at uh, 10 to 9 in the evening. I think the passion that I had for helping people was probably the biggest thing that I could contribute to a practice because no experience at that point in time. I had the book knowledge, so I had the relevant paper backing, bachelor's in commerce, postgraduate diploma in financial planning, but haven't started my route towards the certified financial planner designation. But I think the internal driver and purpose around wanting to see clients succeed, wanting to help people. Uh, I think that was probably the the biggest thing that I could add to to the life of a client and the life of a practice. And then I think just personality um, is, is what I probably deem a, a very good quality in terms of being fun and being lighthearted. I think life is already pretty stressful. So to be a very stressed, a very serious person for me would be tough. I think it shines a light on the fact that as a young financial planner or a graduate, you don't only have to bring in sales. You know, there's other elements that you can contribute to a team, be it technical knowledge or, or be it just the willingness to be able to help people. I think so. I think the academic knowledge is important. Having the paper is important, is helpful. I think if you don't have the opportunity to study um, at a formal university to have a, a bachelor's degree, I don't think that disqualifies you from being a financial planner. I think experience and willingness will make up for it. And you can learn a lot of the stuff along the way if you are keen to learn. But um, I think, yeah, as, as you mentioned, probably the biggest downfall about being young and being new in the industry is your lack of experience and potentially your lack of of network. But if that's not a requirement to actually leverage your network of friends and family and and um, having to rely on them for a sale, obviously to earn that income and commission that will justify your salary or profit share in the business or wherever you end up. I think the the fact that you have got the right personality or view of the industry and I think in probably the most important thing for me is wanting to help people. If, if you didn't have a passion to see people succeed or to help people or to move them forward or to get them closer to their goals or to celebrate the wins with them. And you just see this as a job, but not a calling. And I don't want to use that lightly, but I honestly believe a large part of what we do is way more calling than just occupation because it's not a black and white thing that we're dealing with. We're dealing with people. It's not, for example, Sean, I don't want to be rude to accountants who might be listening, but it's not like accountancy where it's just about the numbers or it's, uh, for example, from a tax perspective where you're a tax practitioner and you need to file a return where it's just, this is what happened, this is what we do. Like we get involved in people's lives. We get intricately involved. People share deep things with us. And if you don't care about the people sharing that thing, I think it, it'll be a very it'll be very tough to truly make a difference in a client's life if the means for leveraging that intimate relationship that you have is to just sell another product. Um, so I think as an as a young person, if if you feel that there's a calling on your life to be a financial planner to make a difference, uh, there's you can get around all of the other obstacles very easily. Yeah, that perseverance, just knowing there's something bigger that you're working towards. Rudolf, you mentioned the fact that you are an extrovert. 
yet a lot of the work that you do has to be technical. It has to be financial planning. How do you balance those two? And secondly, where does it fit into the financial planning process? So I'm not an extrovert. I'll tell you. No, I'm kidding. I'm an absolute extrovert. Um, the the tension between the people element and the technical element is 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 tough to manage because it can get very frustrating very quickly if you are constantly just crunching numbers if the thing that fills you up is the people element. But I think the way to overcome that is to just, I think, better schedule your day. So to in every day-to-day sort of calendar, you have got multiple elements. So there's elements where your my extrovertedness can be um, satisfied, if I can put it that way, whether internally with colleagues or externally with clients, phone calls, a quick WhatsApp conversation, just to catch up over an email, uh, because it does two things. Number one, it's good for me as an extrovert to connect with people. And number two, it shows the clients that you actually care because you're interested in their lives and, and you reach out to them. And there's an outbound contact that's not just work-related. And then on the other hand, I have to do the technical because that's that's part of the job. I can only be effective as a financial planner if we actually get clients closer to their goals and that requires some technical knowledge but luckily, there's sort of the, the book smarts part of me, the academic side of me that also enjoys doing that. So it's luckily not 95% of my day that's caught up in that, which I think would have driven me up the walls. So I think that's sort of how I get around the extrovertedness versus doing stuff behind a computer. Um, I don't know if, if that that helps, but your second question has, has passed me because... I can't listen and talk. It's tough. It's really tough. That'll teach me for asking two questions in one. What I want to get to is, you know, there's a third element, having two little kids at home that also requires some balance. What are the things that you figured out that might be beneficial for other people to hear that are thinking about having kids or trying to juggle a career and kids? It's probably easier than it sounds and at times also probably the most impossible task but I think if you find yourself in a practice or a business that values family it's easy because then there's understanding for the times when you need to check out for a while to attend to family matters I think uh, time management is probably one of the most important things Uh, because you need to plan your day around dropping kids off at school, picking them up in the afternoons, making sure that they're okay, getting to clients, doing your admin, doing marketing, all of these elements that are required. So again, it's not the most difficult thing in the world, but it's also not um, the easiest thing. But I think figuring out what your driver is, is it actually money or is it more purpose related or is it family because i think if you're if you understand your driver where you want to get to in life um you'll be able to work your diary and your calendar in such a way that it reflects where you want to get to so with for me not being driven by money not being driven by just building more assets getting more clients so that i can drive a a uh, top-down coupe porsche 
uh, I'd probably wreck the entire thing for any car lover listening. Sorry. Um, because that's not the thing that drives me. Um, I actually have gotten to a place where it's gotten easier to say, this is the time of the day when I check out of work to spend time with family. This is the part of my day where I put the computer off. And if there's something pressing, then I can do that tonight when the kids are in bed. And I think it's going to be different for everybody because it's all about the thing that drives you. And I think that that will sort of determine what you say yes to and what you say no to, how much of your day is consumed by by work and how much of your day is consumed by family or other things that, that you find enjoyable. And Louis, right at the onset, you mentioned the COVID environment, how that's changed. Obviously, for a period, we were all working from home, all working remotely. And then it was it was very tough to draw those boundaries because you're now constantly either only at home or you're only at the office. So having to, at that point in time, had to also make a clear distinction around what will be my productive office hours and what is going to be family-only time. And it probably sounds like I've got it all figured out, but I don't because some days you get home or you walk out the office or you switch off your computer. And even though I'm now out of the office or checked out, my mind is still preoccupied by the stuff of the day, the things coming up, things that I need to do with stuff that's going on in the lives of clients. And then it's sometimes tough to be present, even though I'm home, even though I'm with the kids, even though I'm spending time with, with my family, with my wife, it's then still, I'm there, but I'm, I'm not there. And that's, I think probably the toughest thing I had to point one thing is that being present. And I think it can go two ways. Are you present when you're with clients or is your head still at home? Or are you present at home um, when you could be thinking about work stuff or client stuff? That's such an interesting comment because I think for both of us in the early days of our careers and still often, you tend to think about, oh, did I remember to finalize that transaction? Did I complete that task? Will that client's investment portfolio turn out okay? How have you trained yourself to let go of those let's call it worries, specifically around the things for clients that we maybe have very little control over as financial planners. Has it gotten easier or have you just gotten used to the fact that they're there and you know you, you are able to park them? I want to say the former, that it's gotten easier. I think I've just gotten better at dealing with the, the constant worry or the second guessing. Um, no, I'm kidding. I, it, it has become easier because I think you realize as experience builds that there's not a lot of things in life that's that's undoable if that's even a word uh because it's late in the day and the english is running out there's some trust that you need to put in your systems there's some trust you need to put in yourself there's some trust you need to put in your team so at some point in time worrying about something that you probably can't do anything about is not helpful and i think starting a day well and ending a day well helps with that worry to see, well, what was the stuff that was on my list today? Did I tick it off? And if I didn't tick it off, can it, um, can it stay for tomorrow? Is there, is there time for, for this task to run over into tomorrow? Is it time sensitive? But honestly, uh, if we are very transparent here tonight on this podcast, I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and remember something that I didn't add to my list 
just forgot about. And then I do one of two things. I either get up and do it then, which is a terrible thing to do, or I make a note on my phone first thing in the morning. Um, but I think that stress around, oh my word, this is hectic. What if this doesn't work? I think that fades over time as you get to know, like, it's probably not a lot of stuff that is the end of the world. And if you communicate well with your clients, if you own up to the stuff ups, that also goes a long way to say, listen, Louis, I was supposed to do this today. Time ran away with me. Apologies, I'll do it first thing in the morning. And it's very helpful if you phone the client before they phone you. I think if the client phones you to ask, you're already on the back foot. But um, it, it gets easier because I think when you're new into the game, everything is urgent. Everything is serious. Everything feels like the end of the world. You struggle to prioritize. Uh, but I think as you get to know your clients, as you get to know what are the important things in the financial planning process for existing or new clients, it gets easier to tackle the very big, important, non-negotiable things first. And then the little sort of pieces of twine left over, you can easily wrap that up as time goes on. Thank you. I think that's a very valuable framework for thinking about experience. And I want to expand a little bit on that because this idea that you need to gain experience, I think there's a problem if you're always doing the same thing, you're not necessarily growing and you're learning. Has there been things that really accelerated your experience or the kind of growth in financial planning? Yes. The constant uh, striving around education and that's just a personal thing uh, it's never been a I have to get these qualifications it's always been a I want to uh, expand my knowledge and I want to expand my experience because ultimately that will bring value to the relationship that we have with clients and the service that we offer so I think the thing that's accelerated my journey or my experience or my sort of career in financial planning has been postgraduate in financial planning, um, the advanced postgraduate that the University of Free State offers, the Alan Gray Behavioral Coaching course. These are these were all academic related training, um, not client related, uh, but ultimately benefiting the client relationship that stretched my thinking. It uh gave me some new insights into the future of financial planning. It uh, made me rethink how I approach clients and client servicing. It uh, changed my engagement around with the engagement in a client meeting. So for example, the behavioral coaching course was probably the biggest stretch uh, in the, I think almost 10 years I've been in the industry now. And the thing about the behavioral coaching course, and not to punt the course, not at all, um, although it was incredible, but there's a lot of places offering it, was it forced me to rethink how I engage with clients. It taught me incredible listening skills, um, how to actually listen with the two ears that I have and speak with the one mouth that I have. So the, the two-to-one ratio is a wonderful thing to get under under the um as they say in Afrikaans. It's that, solely the softer skills, if I can put it in air quotes, the softer skills in terms of how to properly listen and engage in a conversation has been the single, single biggest thing that's impacted my day-to-day -day relationship and 
client-related things because from halfway through the course as I started applying all of this material, all of this foreign difficult stuff, because it was all about self-work. It was all about becoming a better me, a better friend, better husband, better father, better financial planner, better all of these things because it caused me to stretch myself more than just my academic knowledge from sort of the the more formal studies. It changed the way that I engaged with clients. Just the depth that was built in that relationship, which made my financial planning more effective and efficient. Yeah, I think that's probably the single biggest thing I can attribute to the current, I don't want to call it success because it's a flippant journey that we're on, but just becoming a better financial planner, that thing, working on myself to listen better, ask better questions, actually um, listening to the nonverbal cues, seeing when there's elements where a client's struggling to formulate what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their thoughts and in their heart, and leaving them in a space where they can share that in a safe environment has been incredible and to see just the things that have come up in those conversations which probably in the past I never would have gotten the opportunity to do because I got lost in the technical detail I got lost in the jargon I got lost in the in the things that I found interesting and what I realize now looking back is I don't think half of the clients cared as much about the stuff that I spoke to them about as I cared about it. Rudolf you mentioned this thing about the future of financial planning and how your delivery of advice has evolved and that point where clients are more susceptible to implementing advice. What do you think financial planning will look like 15 years from now? You know, imagine a blank slate and you get to create a new version of financial planning. Let's call it financial planning 4.0, but I think because I think 3.0, we're kind of already in that in that phase. What does that look like? What does the world look like according to Rudolf? That is a wonderful question. Um, and I think there's large elements of what we know from a financial planning perspective today that will probably still be around, but I think a large part of it will, will not be around. I think the elements that will still be around will be us as financial planners, as the humans. And I think the expectation on financial planners 10, 15, 20 years from now will not be around the technical stuff, probably not even around portfolio construction or very technical stuff because I think the computers will do that a lot more efficiently than, than we'll be able to. But I think where we will be critically involved is in the, I don't want to call it people management or emotional management, but around the, the, the softer touch human skills. I think people are going to, look for financial planners who they know know what they're talking about because it's on the paper it's easy to verify that cfp bachelors and something i just assume that they can do the technical stuff but i think they're going to look for financial planners who care who are they to listen who are they to help them achieve their goals and ultimately be in a proactive partnership with their clients that will give advice around more things than just the product that will give advice around their future life, their life planning, not just financial planning, but I think life planning is going to be the thing that is going to come to the forefront way more. And 
I think people want to be able to pick up the phone, phone their financial planner and talk about this. I've got this life decision to make. What about this in my business? What about my family? I've got kids that I'm worried about. And if you as a financial planner at that point in time haven't equipped yourself to help a client navigate those difficult emotional things, those life transitions they go through, whether it's changing jobs, whether it's moving house, whether it's losing a spouse, whether it's retiring, these massive things that happen in a client's life. If you didn't equip yourself at that point in time to help clients deal with that, to be a sounding board, to listen well and give advice or to maybe not necessarily give advice, but provide them with options for them to realize they do have options. I think you're going to be dead in the water if you're, if the value that you bring to the party is technical knowledge or picking stocks or finding the best insurance products or if it's all around helping clients save money by rebroking stuff. Because I think 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to outsource all of that because I don't want to do that 20 years from now. I want to help the clients figure out what their life should look like. And then I want to log onto an online portal of some sorts, type in all the parameters and have the computer kick out what that plan looks like, what platform, what funds, what exposure, what insurance, because that's, yes, it's going to sound probably so terrible to say this, but I think that's the easy part. And that's the boring part spending time with clients and help them figuring out what their next steps are irrelevant of the product, irrelevant of the investment structures, irrelevant of all of the stuff that I used to hold in such high regard that that's my value offering. It's all about saving costs. And and, and I'm not saying that's not important. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the day-to-day stuff that we get involved in is not important. It is, it is important, but it's absolutely secondary to the client's life and what's their purpose for their life. Thank you. That was a wonderful explanation. And those words you said, you know, the things I thought were important actually wasn't important. It triggered with me this journey that you went on in terms of where budgeting fits into financial planning. And I know it's maybe a little bit of a personal journey, but is that something that you're willing to share with us? Absolutely. Happy to happy to give you my experience. Is there anything specific you want to No, really just your thinking around budgeting in terms of dealing with clients, what you stumbled on, how that changed and, you know, how that changed your life. Absolutely. So, um, Wrench and I, my wife Wrencher, we weren't really ever into budgeting um, because I think we were in a fortunate position where we could sort of make ends meet on a regular, even though we overspent on certain stuff. I think we never find ourselves in a precarious financial position or where we were under financial pressure. But that also led to us not being very good with money. I'm not saying we were poor with money because to hear that your financial plan is poor with money is probably not something that you want to advertise, right? But because we weren't into budgeting, I also didn't really pay attention from a client perspective around budgeting. So when it came to my financial planning pr- approach to clients, that was probably an element that we that that I ignored, um, because I don't think it was also the target market that I was going after helping clients figuring out their spend, um, so that there is um, excess for us to invest or to 
um, provide solutions or products to implement. So it wasn't a need um, in my financial planning process. But as we sort of stumbled upon um, budgeting, and it was a course that was presented in our community that that we um, joined up with, it um, it really opened my eyes to the power of budgeting because essentially what the budgeting journey got us into was stewardship. And I know that's obviously a big thing from, from PSG. They mention it all the time in their process. It's all about being good stewards. And I never really fully grasped that context. But what I got to understand as I went on this journey is that if I don't tell my money where to go, it'll find feet. As we all know, you've all probably been in a position where it's end of the month and you look back and you go, where did all my money go? Because I didn't tell it where to go. So obviously getting into the sort of rhythms of budgeting was very tough initially. But as time went on, Wrench and I really became good at budgeting. It became so easy and so helpful that we were able to speed up the attainment of our personal financial goals. But I mean, it probably went at half the speed or double the speed is what we anticipated. So a goal that was two years became one year. And what I realized in that moment was if the clients that I'm serving don't necessarily pay attention to their budget because they don't need to, in which areas of their life, of their financial life specifically, are they spending money on things that doesn't really bring them joy? And where are there potential inefficiencies in their own money management? Because without a spending plan, you are, you are dead in the water to, to a large extent because I think there's very few people who just have got excess where they don't need to worry about the budget because there's just more money. Um, but it's not just about that. I think the thing that really uh, sort of hit hard from a budgeting perspective is how it's actually about your um, habits. And if you don't change your habit, which obviously is a hard thing to do, um, there's not going to be any improvement in your future. Because if you do the same thing over and over again, but you expect a different result, I think it was Einstein that said that that's the definition of insanity. And how this really hit home was conversations with clients who leave an employer and who have now got the option of accessing their pension or provident funds from their corporate benefits. And from a legislation perspective, you're allowed to do that. Yes, there's some taxes payable, but you can still get your hands on cash. And a large part of the conversations in the early years of my career centered around, okay, well, you've got this asset, long-term growth of that asset is X, but you've got debt and the long-term snowballing of that debt is obviously at a higher interest rate. So, over time, you're going to pay more in interest repayments if you don't settle this debt because an investment will probably never be able to provide you with a return in that way. So mathematically, it makes more sense to take your investment, post-tax, settle debt, start on a clean slate. And in my mind, that solved the problem. But what I came to realize as I had multiple conversations with the same clients after employer, after employer, after employer is that every single time they found themselves in exactly the same position. 
They found them, they find themselves sitting with debt again after they paid it all off. They apparently cut up their credit cards, but they somehow found more credit cards or personal loans or whatever they did. And now they've got this cash cow again in the form of the pension fund. And they would again cash it out, pay taxes, penalties, whatever you want to call it, settle the debt, clean slate, new beginnings. And at the third employer, we reached the same inevitable end. And it boggled my mind. And what I realized after getting into budgeting and having this realization about being a good steward of your finances and taking proactive control of it is that budgeting changed my wife and I. It changed our behavior. It changed our decision-making around money. And it's at that point in time that I realized, but even though mathematically my advice was sound around cashing out this pension or provident fund because the long-term return on that asset is going to be way less in the 20% debt repayment on a credit card. Why did my client get in a position where they had credit card debt? How did they end up with a personal loan? Because they spent more than they earned. So if we don't fix that problem first, the spending, the behavior then they will never ever get to a point where they will actually not sit with credit card debt. And that will lead to ultimately job after job after job, cashing out and cashing out pension and provident funds and getting to retirement and saying, well, where did all my money go? How, how is it possible? Oh, it's everybody else's fault other than my own behavior. And that's obviously changed my conversation around clients, not from, hey, I want to see your budget and you need to have a budget, um, but actually giving people the skills around assessing their own behavior and asking them if this journey that they're on, this trajectory that they're on with this spending pattern, if this is the future they want to end up with. And then obviously the ball is in their court to say, no, I actually have a different future in mind, but I don't know how to get there. And it's at that point in time that I think I can clearly demonstrate the value around budgeting and how it will, and I don't say this lightly, change your life. Thank you, Rudolph. That is a very powerful story. And I even recall one of your clients committing to shaving her eyebrows if she doesn't manage to pay off her debt. So these are these are serious conversations. And you know, like you're saying, it's going back to your habits. It's showing me what are you doing and can you take ownership of this problem? What are people's responses when you ask that question? And then what's the follow-up? You know, because I, I, I think this is such a valuable piece of you know insight in terms of dealing with clients. It's that kind of building up experience, but through very practical examples that we can share. And so I'd like you to delve just a little bit deeper in that, please. I think clients will be willing to share virtually anything with us as a financial planning industry or body if we create a safe and comfortable environment free of judgment free of i think judgment is probably the best explanation of that so language is is very important i found over the last couple of years that the language that i use in client meetings convey quite a lot because i think a lot of people have got bad connotations to certain elements or certain things. So not using the word budgeting, but speaking to client about a spending plan, asking clients 
permission to talk about certain things right at the onset of the financial planning process, actually asking a client to see their spending plan. I think all of these things almost proactively and subconsciously prepare a client to have that conversation around, this is where I currently find myself. And then forcing myself over, obviously, um, months and years of client conversations, not to question a client's decision when looking at their spending plan, but actually asking them to explain it. Because getting that context from a client around why they um, why they say, but yeah, they, they can't make ends meet, but then looking at their budget and they spend 10,000 rand a month on ready-made meal from Woolies where the answer is obvious, cook your own food, man, you've got a stove in the house. But asking them to explain their budget or their spending plan to you, like, like why do they do the things that they do? It's in those moments where, number one, you build great deep relationships because you're actually actively listening to your client. But what I found, which is probably 99% of the cases, there's always a story linked to someone's money. You can't get around that. People don't just spend money on things. There's a reason, there's a conviction behind it, there's a history around something. And I think one of the things that came to mind as we're talking as a joint client, Louis, that we that we look after, one day having a chat to the client around their spending plan, obviously delving into quite a sensitive topic, and it came out the reason for this, in my mind, exorbitant spend in inverted commas. The reason for it was she gets pleasure and joy and fulfillment and purpose from giving to her kids what she never had as a kid. All of a sudden, spending excessive, and it wasn't really that excessive, but excessive amounts of money from my perspective, from my bias on eating out, on building memories, makes absolute sense because what the client then at that point in time did was they sacrificed now in other areas. They were willing to sacrifice on other things because they knew that this part of their budget they weren't going to sacrifice on because they got so much joy from it. And all of a sudden, just being there to listen meant that that's a part of the budget that I would never touch and minimize. But it, I'm looking for areas where I can help the client maximize that part of the budget because it's tied to like not a self-worth but to a purpose for her life that she wants to um, create with her kids and the memories that she wants to build that when she's no longer there in the future, that her kids always look back fondly on, wow, my mom never spared any expense around our growing up, around our experiences, around, um, around just us building good memories together. So I think asking the questions um, and giving clients proper time to respond and actually share what's driving their behavior. And that unfortunately takes time. So I've had to uh, get to a place where a client meeting has got less to do with my agenda and the things that I want to achieve in a meeting and just putting time aside to be there for the client and to listen. And if at the end of the meeting, I accomplished nothing of my little financial planning list of stuffies I had to do and stuffies I wanted to discuss, that's cool because I can do that tomorrow. Someone recently said, an agenda is just something for you to prepare. 
if you then actually discuss that in the meeting, completely different story. You know, follow what's on the client's mind and you know what you're saying is is that practice of listening. What are the tips or tricks, if there's any, of cultivating that deep listening that you would give to other financial planners listening today? I think starting from a place of actually caring about your client. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you really tick that block or tick that box. Uh, I think you wouldn't listen to a resource like this if you didn't want to become a better financial planner. And that's automatically tied to caring about your clients. I think... Uh, going into a conversation with a client with a blank canvas, so not having an agenda, putting time aside to actually just listen, um, even though that's part of the question, how do you listen better? Well, making yourself available to listen. Deep listening is actually something that, that takes practice, and I still suck at that pretty badly. I've gotten a lot better, but I mean, where I want to be is not close to where I am now. So, um I think never putting myself in a position where I think I already know the answer. I almost get myself to a place where I want to be surprised. I want to learn more. There's probably a lot of stuff that I don't know and I have the opportunity to find out. I think one of the podcast sort of short videos was a TED talk from Celeste Headley. I think it was entitled 10 Ways to Be a Better Conversationalist. She gave 10 really helpful tips and tricks to listen better. So if you have some time, please jump onto it. It's a great TED Talk. And I think one of the things she mentioned was it's it's not very difficult to listen and engage in a conversation with somebody if you actually care and if you don't have an agenda. And practice, I think, is probably the single biggest thing that I can um, recommend practice, 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 practice on friends, practice on family, practice on clients, practice on colleagues. And yes, this is going to sound probably too rude for the podcast, but shut up, keep your mouth shut and your ears open. And if you want to say something before you say it, take a deep breath, take a sip of water hold pause for another second or two because it's in that moments of I call it awkwardness because I get very awkies and then I want to fill it because I don't like science as an extra a silence because as an extrovert there should never be silence ever but it's in that moments of forcing myself to stay quiet a little bit longer to see if there's more more often than not there is a lot more that a client wants to say and Getting to that place just takes a bit of practice, but it does get better because I sucked at it when we started with the journey of listening because I've got flipping interesting things to say, Louis, in my mind. I'm That's a why fun we guy. have you as a guest. That's why you get to say it today. Exactly. And I think a lot of the stuff that I used to want to say to clients, it's not that I don't think the client's scared to it or that they didn't think it was interesting. It was just interesting for me. Um, and when they ask me that question point blank, like if I reminisce now, probably a conversation with a client in the very first year um, at the business, sitting in town at a coffee shop, and I probably spent the better off of 30 minutes of an hour conversation talking about the asset allocation allowances of a retirement annuity when it comes to Regulation 28. And 
looking back on that conversation or playing it around in my mind, how I didn't see it at that point that this client checked out when I said Regulation 28. And then I proceeded to tell a story around how to maximize Regulation 28. And I was like, yeah, so what a missed opportunity to actually just listen for 30 minutes around what this client wants, what's on their mind. Um, it's safe to say that that client didn't come back. <laughs> there, there, was, there wasn't a, a second opportunity for another coffee. This client just checked out because I think in their mind, they probably went, this guy doesn't care about me at all. Um, and it's probably not going to be a good fit. So good lesson learned though. So true. So true. People don't remember what you said. They remember the way you made them feel. And I think in you know our line of business, it's not often that someone would come back and say, you know, Rudolph, that was a terrible meeting. They just don't come back, right? Yep. And as you progress, as you, know, you build these habits, and it feels to me today as if this is a story of building habits and cultivating the right things in terms of becoming a better financial advisor, and that it isn't an end goal. It is this journey that I think we're all on in terms of just every day sharpening the pencil, getting a little bit better at things that no, like you said, we sucked at yesterday, but hopefully yep. tomorrow it can be a little bit better. Are we practicing the awkward silence, <laughs> Rudolph? I'm, I'm waiting for a gem of a thought to come through, giving you that extra moment. <gasps> this has been so much fun. Is there anything that you want to leave for our guests as a as a parting thought as we as we wrap up? Maybe where they can get hold of you if they want to have a chat or just you know some inspiration for people joining the industry. Absolutely. I am always game for a coffee or a conversation being an extrovert. So if anybody wants to have a, a, a mingle, absolutely always say yes. You can find my details on our website, wealthup.co.za. For young, up-and-coming, uh, new-to-the-industry, zero-experience financial planners, I just want to say keep going. At the start, it is quite a daunting task but it gets easier and it gets more fun and it gets better. Um, surround yourself with people that pull the best out of you. Um, don't surround yourself with peers. Please don't surround yourself with, with people your own age. Please get into relationship with older and wiser financial planners. Uh, they've got so much to offer and they are willing to give it away for free. They just want to help you become a better financial planner. So, and keep learning, keep being interested in your clients, keep pushing yourself, help other people as other people help you. I think that's a pretty big thing that is driver for me, building a community of financial planners, of like-minded people who want to push the industry forward because they are a valuable, they are a valuable resource. I've phoned so many industry colleagues in the past around client questions, around implementation or application or systems or processes, and they are always willing to help. And then for the older, more established financial planners, there's still so much that you can offer. And if you are willing to keep adapting to change, because it's honestly easier than you think, even though it seems daunting from a tech perspective, there's young people like myself and Louis and other people in the industry who are willing to help you because you've still got so much to offer. Please don't leave the industry because you're not less anymore, because your years of experience makes a massive difference in the lives of clients and other financial planners. So keep up with us. 
Um, we, we're not that fast, I promise, because um, we hit our heads along the way a lot more. So eventually you catch up um, and we need you. Like we need young and old in practices, but in, in the broader community and just keep caring about your clients. Keep picking up the phone. Don't ever discount how much a simple WhatsApp message or a quick phone call or a quick check-in email does. And yes, have your financial planning meetings, but flap, have some social hangouts with your clients as well. We don't have to be weekend buddies with our clients, but actually just spending time with the client in the absence of papers or a financial planning file or folder or an investment return statement or a policy schedule, just being in the presence of a client, letting them talk will do wonders for your practice. Give it a shot.